are a funny bunch. Turn to your neighbour and say, I'm really glad you came to church today. We are uh, continuing with our series in Corinthians. And so uh, if you are visiting with us for the very first time, uh, I've been preaching a series on 1 Corinthians for probably about 10 weeks with a few gaps in between. And we find it's an interesting book in the fact that it is uh, very much a church that reflects so much the 21st century of where we are today. And so we're going to continue with this. And we're now going to move on to 1 Corinthians 11, 18, verse 34. This is a passage that we're all very familiar with. And it's probably one of the most abused passages in the Bible. And so uh, with a little bit of help from God, hopefully we'll be able to... Uh, get through this and bring us to a place of uh, understanding. This is perhaps the most misused passage in the Bible. It essentially is dealing with the whole idea of the Lord's Supper, communion. And how this is unpacked is substantially what's caused the division in what we call the Church of Jesus Christ globally. The, uh, The Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, the traditionals have a particular view of Lord's Supper. Then you've got those who sit a little bit more in the middle with the Lutherans. And then you get the Methodists down the other end. They all have these very different views of the Lord's Supper. And if you've been uh, going to church for a little while, you would have probably been exposed to all those different forms. So who would like to know what the Bible really teaches here? Do you really want to know? You can't come. Well, I'm not certain. Do you really want to know? So I'm going to do something very dangerous and actually try and unpack what this passage talks about. So uh, here we go. The most next uh, passage, thanks. So hey, we'll all read it together. So let's read all together. One, two, three. First, I heard that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. That's sarcasm, okay? (laughs) This is not endorsement, it's sarcasm. When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others go drunk. Point out, parenthesis, I think it must be alcoholic. Yeah, I'm not saying we, we ought to do it, but I'm just saying back there it was alcoholic. Because as a result, some got, there you go. So unless it was a miracle. <laughs> so verse 22, what? Don't you, give your, don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. Can you get the tone? Uh, Up to now, Paul's been saying, yes, guys, but. Yes, you're doing this well, but. Yes, now he's actually saying no. He's a bit cross now with these guys. Then he goes on for, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. 
In the same way, he took the cup of the wine after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. So that red letter is the tradition that was passed on. So Paul's quoting that for a reason. Now we go back to Paul's Paul's, um, um, writing here. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's a tough scripture. That is why we should examine yourself. That's why you should examine yourself. Say you. Yourself before eating and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? That sounds like you could, if you mess up there, you might end up in the next verse, which says that is why some of you are weak and sick and some have even died. That's pretty... This looks serious, doesn't it? Whatever that means, who wants to know what it really means? Because it could actually affect our whole life, weakness, strength, and stuff. So um, it also points out to me for the fact is that this is a, a ceremony for believers because you've got to be able to honor the body of Christ. When you take those emblems, Paul's understanding is you need to be able to, whatever honoring the body of Christ is, you need to be able to do that, otherwise you risk judgment. So um, I believe that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal saviour, that's probably best that you don't take part in the Lord's Supper. Uh, if, my, if I had a little five-year-old child come up and say, you know, can I have some little cordial deck and have one of the bickies? I would ask them first, do you know what this means? And if at their level they can honour the body of Christ, well, I probably would be okay with it. But for someone who has no knowledge at all, doesn't understand that, I would be a little bit concerned. Um, but, now here's interesting, verse 31, but if we, say we, if we examine ourselves, we will not be judged by God in this way. It's suddenly gone from the individual to the corporate getting. You see the change there? It's important to notice these things. And so when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so we are not being condemned along with the world. So this judgment that's going on has the thought of a discipline in the way that a good father will discipline their child through love. It's not a judgmental, condemnation, angry God thing. It's got something built in it to reconcile, to bring back into relationship. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. And I give you instructions about matters, other matters when I arrive. So here's the text. Now, I've been around church a little bit and I can remember going through, particularly in the older days, uh, you know, even in Pentecostal setting, having these big guilt trips put on you. 
and you know let's take the cup in our hand let's take the wafer and let's just have a minute right now in the presence of god if the holy spirit speaks to you about speeding or about you know your thought life or your pornography or whatever you better let that cup go by in the name of jesus and everybody got guilty and all that sort of stuff and you know i i was also raised catholic and in the Catholic Church, you know, they believe that you turn the wafer actually into the physical body of Jesus. And the wine physically turns into the exact blood of Jesus. And that the whole Catholic Mass is actually a re-crucifixion of Jesus that his life would flow again. So, you know, there are some questions going on. So I'm going to try in 15 minutes to uh, get you to the other side of this. Is that Okay. Okay, let's move on. Next slide, thank you. So, verse 17 says, When you come together, it does more harm than good. To me, that's one of the saddest passages in the, in the Bible. You know, when churches come together, sometimes it's, it's not good. Sometimes more harm is done in the gathering together than uh, what's meant to happen. You know, when you come to church, it's meant to be a good thing. It's meant to bless you. It's meant to lift you. It's meant to encourage you when you come to church. It's a place where you should receive love, acceptance, and forgiveness. It's not a place where you should receive judgment and criticism. I would always love this to be a church where you'll go out feeling better than the way you came in. Okay. I'd rather this be a church where you feel out worse than the way you came in. No. Jesus is life, and he wants to give us life in abundance. So that is... um, a fact, though, that some churches come together and it's division, it's schism, it's problems, it's gossip, it's slander. And some churches are the most unhealthy place in the world to be. God, God keep us right. We're not better than anybody else. We've got people in our church just like any other church. But you can have functional families and you can have dysfunctional families. You know, families, that's a wonderful place to be. You just want to be home and hang with mum and hang with dad. And, and, you know, there are loves and there are hugs in the home. And there are other families where the last thing you want to do is go home. My family, many years ago, before I left home as a 14-year-old, you know, I used to walk the block saying, when do I go home? I don't want to go home. And, uh, you know, like a lot of street kids, I wasn't thrown out of home. I left home. It was easier to leave home than it was to stay in home. So you've got functional churches, you've got dysfunctional churches. So Paul's trying to address this, that there's something wrong with the way that they are gathering in Corinth. Next verse, thank you, next slide. So in Corinth, as we remember back in chapter 1, there are not many that are noble, but there are some noble. There are not many rich amongst you, but there are some rich. And we saw that the Corinthian society was highly stratified with people that had incredible wealth, people that had influence, people that were sophists, they were people that were uh, masters in philosophy, and they had the other. So this was the miracle of the church of Jesus Christ, that it had this mixed bunch all coming together in Jesus Christ into a new family. And it looks like us, doesn't it? What a mixed bunch we are. We've got people from every nation on the place of the earth. We've got abled. We've got disabled. We've got Mike. You've got you. You've got us. We are a motley bunch, aren't we? Yeah. That's us, isn't it? 
And yet the miracle of the church is it draws us together. We share a life in common. But in the first century in Corinth, they didn't have churches in these days. They didn't have buildings like we have today. So the most likely place that church would have taken place would have been a home church, would have been a house church. And they probably would have gone to the homes of the more wealthy in their society. Mainly because the homes were bigger. This would be a typical villa for a wealthy person in the first century in Corinth. In fact, Steve Bolt actually had some pictures of Ephesus where they've actually excavated a lot of these sorts of things. So this is the Mac mansion of 2,000 years ago. It's actually not too bad, is it? So uh, at the front part of it, on the left-hand side, there's actually a shop. So the, the actual house would be selling certain wares to the street. So because you would have lots of slaves, uh, those slaves might be making bread for the house, so they also would be selling bread to the street. And so there'd be some sort of shop at the front. So as you walk through the front door, you'd enter this nice little courtyard area. To the front section are the bedrooms. Back and forth are the bedrooms. Two-story, there are more bedrooms. And then where that arrow, arrow is, is the formal dining room. Who's got a formal dining room in your house? Do you use your formal dining room? Most people don't use them these days. It's just a place where you hide the nice furniture. That's, that's all. But that was the formal dining room. And just like it is in today, the formal dining room is usually not very large. Just for entertaining a few people. And it was actually called the tablinian, where you get the word table from. Okay? And that's where you would meet. And there's a picture of a tablinian just down here in the left-hand corner. They were quite a posh room. And then out the back, you had the servants' quarters and you had a little atrium as well. This was almost standard wealthy house in the first century. Now, the problem would be is that if you were a wealthy person in the first century Corinth, you probably don't have to work. If you're a slave, you have to work. So if church was to start at a certain time, the wealthy could get there early. They could bring all their food. They wouldn't have to worry about it. And they would probably fill up in the tablinium. And then all the other people would come probably late from work, after dark, sweaty, dirty. And they would probably have to sit out in the courtyard. If it was a big meeting, they'd actually have to sit out in the streets. This is what's happening at the church at Corinth. Not only that, by the time the working class man gets to church on Sunday... The people in the Tablinian, they've been eating for a while. They've been drinking for a while. In fact, some of them are now... Some are now a bit tipsy. And if they've come late to work, in fact, they may not have much food. They may have no food at all. And so this was setting up an issue at the church of Corinth. This is what Paul is saying should not happen in the church of Jesus Christ. This is very different to what you get for the average communion service. True? Okay. This is what he's on about. This is the context of what's happening in this particular passage. Next, next, script, uh, next slide, sorry. So it says, If anyone partakes of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in an unworthy manner, he drinks judgment on himself. It's so important to know the difference between a noun and an adverb. The person's not unworthy, but he can act in an unworthy manner. So if you're in Jesus Christ, 
If you've invited Jesus Christ to come into your life to wash away your sins and you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you are worthy. Because He has made you worthy. Never, ever let anybody say you're unworthy because Jesus Christ has made you worthy. It's not about what you did. It's not about your failure. It's about what He did and about His success on the cross. We're not meant to be sin conscious in the church of Jesus Christ. We're meant to be saviour conscious. Look what Jesus has done. So you are worthy if you know Jesus Christ. Everybody here is worthy of the life, the blessing, the miracles of God. Hallelujah. Can someone say that's a good thing? Okay. But when it comes to the way you behave in church... You can do it in an unworthy way. Or if you want to unpack that particular word, you could say careless or dishonoring. We as Australians don't have a great sense of the sacred, unless it's football. Or maybe even Anzac Day these days. But there are some things that we call holy. There are some things that we treat as sacred. And whatever the Lord's Supper is, it is holy, it's sacred, it's different, and we are obliged to treat it that particular way. So the the challenge is, is that we are worthy, but we can handle the holy things of God in a careless way. That's what Paul says we're not meant to do. But isn't that good news? You'll never have to have a guilt trip again. Over a communion service again. Because the Bible says you are worthy. But let's be let's not be unworthy of the way that we do it. So the believer is worthy because of the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Next slide. So essentially what's going on here is Paul is very cross with the church because the haves. The upper crust, the senators, the people that are the patrons, those that are wealthy, are keeping their sustenance to themselves and they're not sharing it with those who do not. Koinonia, the word fellowship in Greek, means a costly sharing. So the incredible challenge we have to still work into our hearts is that communion is more about what happens out there in the breakout area then what happens here with our little bit of glass of grape juice in our bread? Now, this will take revelation for some of you because what Paul is really saying is that it's about how we treat people out there around the meal of Jesus Christ. That, that's incredibly powerful. When we hold the blood of Jesus Christ as represented by that little bit of grape juice and the body of Jesus Christ as represented by the broken wafer. What we have in our hands is a memorial. It's something that's to remind us that God gave everything to us. When we did not deserve it, when we were God-haters, when we were away from God, rebellious and sinful and the rest, if there's anyone who did not deserve a break on this earth, it was Mike Keating. I would have sent me to hell. But you might be able to say the same thing, that you were the chief of sinners. But I want to tell you, I did not deserve to be saved. I did not deserve to be rescued. But God, 
infinite in love and mercy reached out towards me. And I had a moment in time where I saw and I reached out and I received life, wonderful life. So this thing that we have in our hands, this memorial, is an incredible symbol that God is a giving God. He's a sacrificial God and he's passionately committed to love people who don't deserve it. To share of his wealth, to share of his grace, to share of his life with people that don't work, that aren't worthy of it. Communion properly understood is understanding what Jesus did for Mike and letting God work through Mike to do it for others who don't deserve it. It's amazing. There are people in this room in any natural context, I would have nothing in common with, that I would have nothing to do with, and we would live separate parallel lives. But if I understand what Jesus did, God wants to save human beings. To do that, he's got to die. God can't die. God can't die, can he? He has eternal life. He is eternity in himself. So what he then says, I can't die. But Jesus said, I'm prepared to become a man, and I'll die for you. He gave us everything. He gave us everything. And if we really understand the body of Jesus Christ, it means me stepping out of my comfort zone, not being locked in about me, mine, bless me, bless us and all our stuff, and actually connecting with others and letting God's goodness flow through me. You know, we live in a society now where food's not really the big deal. You know, we probably have an abundance of food. You look at me, you probably say, Mike, you've had an abundance of food. There's other ways that God can bless me. You know, I can be blessed with food. I can be blessed with finance. But I also could be blessed with an incredible revelation about God's goodness, about his healing power, and I can share that. I can pass that on. In fact, I'm just going to let you listen to a lady now who's just got a great little testimony. Estheline's just going to come and just share what God's done in her life. Where are you, Estheline? Here you go. Where's that microphone gone? Let's give her a hand. You know, this, uh, only five years ago, she graduated from youth ministry. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm not good at this, but I think uh, the Lord has told me that I need to share this with you. The last three years has been a real struggle. I had two back operations and didn't think I'd walk. Now I'm walking and I feel better than I have in those three years. And I even can walk from my house to Armadale. It takes me 45 minutes, but I can do it. And I just want to praise God and tell everybody to never, never give up. He's always there, even the worst times. He's there, and he knows what you're going through. And just hang on, because I'm a walking miracle. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you. So this is what Paul's concerned about, is that, how can you be a representative of the unity miracle that God did is if when you come together, all you do is fight with each other and keep your stuff to yourself. I think it's fantastic that in this church, we are an incredibly diverse church, but we have people that are incredibly talented. We have um, guys discovering a, working on a discovery for cancer in our house. He is. And, he, and, he, and he'll tell you where to park your car and give you a smile. You know, and we could go right through, I'm not going to do that because we're people of all sizes and shapes and whatever. But when we connect together and share 
costly share. Let God move through us, and then we are actually going to be doing what communion is really about. It's not about feeling guilty. It's about feeling mobilized that Jesus, the great lover of our soul, has worked in our lives and can work through us to minister to others. Next slide. Okay, so discerning the Lord's body. What does it mean to discern the Lord's body? There are three potential uh, ways that the church has dealt with this over the years. One is to believe on the left-hand side that it physically becomes. The ambulance in front of you that you hold physically become the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't think that's what the text is saying. In fact, it can't say that. Even if you go back to the Synoptic Gospels, when Jesus is there celebrating a Passover meal with his disciples and he takes a piece of bread and he hands this bread to them saying, this is my body, there's no Jew on the face of the earth that wouldn't think he was saying the bread just became him. That would never happen. This is my body. They would understand it to be a symbolic, to be a metaphor because the real body of Jesus was still in the room, hadn't moved. So I don't think that's what this is about. One that, uh, that one in the middle is probably where some churches go to more often, which is, you know, think about Jesus on the cross and how he suffered and the stripes and the pain he went through and how terrible that was and stuff. And look, we need to remember what Jesus did. But that's not discerning the Lord's body. I believe the text is saying it's the third one, which is discerning the body is you and I. It's us. When we come together, and you hold that little cup in your hand, that little wafer in your hand, think about the people around you. And then you're closer to what this passage is talking about. Think about people. It's, you know, that's why Jesus did it. <laughs> he, did it not, he didn't do all that stuff up there to make us feel guilty. He did it because he loves people. He wants to actually reach as many people as he can. That's why he did it. Next slide. Thank you, guys. Doing a great job. Some are weak and sick and many die. So this is a really tough passage. If you don't actually have a respect or an honoring of the church of Jesus Christ, the local gathering, uh, we're not talking the church universal, we're talking about the church local. In context, this would have been a house group, probably quite a large home group, probably 60 to 70 people in this home group. So when you don't have a discernment and an honoring of your local church body, some can grow weak, some get sick, and many die. That's, you have to think about that one, aren't you? That's a difficult thing. How, how can Mike get sick? How can Mike grow weak? How can I get to a place where I could even die as a result of not actually honoring the body of Christ locally? It's difficult. But what I think it is, is this. This is how I've worked about it. I've prayed it. I've read all the commentaries. I've done the Greek. I've done everything. The best I can come up with is this. When we don't have a recognition that what we do on Sunday, whether it be Sunday or whatever time, it's about us letting God use us to minister to others, then when we allow that to happen, we end up becoming a blocked pipe. All the goodness that God wants to do through us to others gets blocked in our lives. And so God's designed that the world would be blessed. The first promise to Abraham, we are his children, is that, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and in blessing you, I will bless the nations. God wants to bless you and me, amen? And he wants to bless you so that others will be blessed. 
He doesn't want to bless you so it stops with me and it stops with you. He wants to bless you so that the world will be blessed. And so I think the dynamic is when we don't let that happen, when we don't act out and show love to people and show forgiveness and show praise and reveal the joy of the Lord and and live in the peace of God and to do all the things that the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit brings in our life, we become a blocked pipe. God wants to pour his life through us. He's putting in good stuff. But it's not coming out. And when it doesn't come out, it can go rotten and sour. The image I have up there is the Dead Sea. And, of course, uh, many would know that the Dead Sea, uh, you know, from outer space, it receives thousands, hundreds of thousands of gallons of water every day from the Jordan River, yet the Dead Sea itself is... They call it the... Yet it receives fresh water from the uh, Alpine uh, upper Mount Hermon, the snows mount, they come down, beautiful, clean water, comes into the Dead Sea, it's a Dead Sea, it's a Dead Sea. Why is it dead? It's dead because it has no outlet. It's not letting it go. So here's my theory. I'll be interested in your theories. My theory is that if you understand that God's put you in a body of people, and that in loving people, in ministering to people, in praying for people, in sharing God's blessing in your life with people, it keeps you healthy. Three people think so. Anyway, that's my theory. It's pretty serious, though. It does mean for some people seeking divine healing, it's not a, it's not a lack of unbelief. Sorry, it's not a problem of unbelief. It's not a problem of sin. It may not even be about, it's for some people, according to the Bible, it's because they're not letting God move through their lives and bless others, if, that's, if my interpretation is correct. And God says it's for their discipline, or if you like, for their correction. God's not wanting to destroy people, but he's wanting them to learn that they have a role and a place on earth. So next slide. It's controversial. So verse 33 is when you come together, consider others. Wait for others. We are meant to be other-centered people. Next slide. And when we look at the actual tradition part, verse 24 to 25, which Paul says, that which I received from the Lord I pass on to you. Yes, that as a little envelope of truth still stands. But Paul's using that little package there to actually explain what's happening in the church is not right in terms of unity. You need to be loving one another, blessing one another, caring for one another if you understand what the Lord's communion was really about. But the, the actual passage itself It does mean that we can look back to his death. Jesus did die. The most important thing that happened in all of cosmic history is the death of Jesus Christ because he was raised on the third day. That changes everything. We also need to look into our attitude. Check, examine yourself. What's your attitude with people here in the building? What's your attitude with other believers? That's important if you want the life of God to be flowing through you, isn't it? One of the saddest things I've ever seen was uh, uh, in a church some years ago, uh, we had people on the steward team, and they were giving out the emblems. And this particular lady had a problem with that particular lady, and so she refused quite rudely to take the emblems from this other lady. <clears throat> um, she doesn't get it, does she? She doesn't get what it's actually about. Jesus died, so that didn't have to happen. Uh, it was a little while ago, we had a person who was... Uh, I don't know why God does this to some churches, but uh, we had an evangelistic crusade, and one of the very first people to get saved was a person who had just actually had a uh, sex change. And they would, uh, got saved in our church. Wonderful. And they started to grow in their faith. They started to go to the Bible 
studies, go to connect groups, start to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then she stuck up a hand, or he, she, uh, I get confused, but she stuck up a hand and says, I would like now to give to volunteer in the life of the church. Can I give out the communion emblems? And then we had to go away as an eldership and we spent hours and hours and hours trying to figure out whether this person could actually give out communion emblems. Is it going to be? And eventually we had one of those moments where we just felt the voice of the Lord speak. And one of our elders said, if Jesus died for them, then they're worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But it tests, it tests us sometimes about attitudes, doesn't it? It really does. And so may God make us a loving church. So we've got to look at our attitude. So look back to his death. Look in for your attitude. Look up for fellowship with God. There's something about having communion that focuses your attention on the big deal that he died for us. Look around to care for others and look forward to Christ's return because, you know, I will not drink of this vine again until I have it again anew at the Messianic banquet in the future. And then we have to look out to share the word of God with others. This is good news, really good news. So this is actually what 1 Corinthians 11 verses 18 to 34 teaches. I think there's something in the heart of man that loves to take life and turn it into religion. Lifeless, dead, dull religion. And there are churches all around the world today that go to incredibly elaborate events too they dress up they've got nice hats they put on fancy clothes and medals and they've got smoke coming out and incest and they do all sorts of things because they want to actually worship god in the wafer you know where you're going to find god today if you really know you will find god in the least of these now, we've got some success, but it's in the least of these. Matthew 25, whoever did this for the least of these, did it unto me. I wonder if we could get a pastor's of church to find the least of us and to love them, give them the glass of water, do life with them. Who's the sort of people that you invite around to your barbecue? Does it include some of the least? That's what communion's about. It is actually about common union, that we come together in unity to share and to love. So will all the least say amen and all the great say amen? Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that, uh, uh, Lord, you are a God that saw us before the foundations of this world had even settled, Lord, to create this incredible family of God that will live together forever and ever. And Lord, you take people from every tribe, from every nation, from every language. And Lord, you put us into one family that we might love each other. And Lord, show a lost world that there's hope and that there is a future in Jesus Christ. Lord, we uh, never want to treat what you did as unholy. We never want to treat, Lord, your body as unsacred. Lord, help us to see that you are forever at work in us, through us, to others. Help us to be conduits of your love and your grace in your life. In Jesus' name. Lord, when we go out into the cafe area, Lord, so much more is going on than just a cup of coffee, a slap on the back with a friend, chasing up someone for a little bit of chit-chat. Lord, it's body. 
Lord, it's the body of Christ, loving and sharing and doing life together. Help us to do that, Lord, with excellence. Lord, as we leave these four walls and we move out to that area, Lord, I pray that we'll have a sense that you're with us. And Lord, if we'll take the time to listen to others, we'll take the time, Lord, to love the least. But Lord, we will hear you speak. We'll hear your voice in what is said and done. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Well, just before we go, uh, I just want to give everybody an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your own personal saviour, then I'd really like to give you an opportunity to accept him. Most of us would understand that we've failed, that we've messed up, and we've tried to run our life ourselves. We've been uh, the Lord and the master of our own lives. We've made our own decisions. And for some, we get to the point where we realize, I can't do it, and I need help. It takes a point of humility. It takes a point of being uh, humble and saying, God, I need help. But the good news is God loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he's made a way for you to come back home into the family of God, and you can experience this morning the gift of eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't live a life of destruction and futility and pain and disappointment, but come into everlasting quality life. And this is your opportunity this morning. If you've not taken that first step, to say, Jesus, come into my life. Change me from the inside. I want to know that I have a plan and destiny with you. If you want to know that if you died tonight, that you can have your names, name written in heaven's book and live with him forever and ever, then this is your opportunity. And just while the saints are praying, it's a moment of privacy. If everyone would just bow their heads. I'm just going to look around this congregation just for a short moment. Is there someone here to say, Pastor Mike, this morning, I'd like to become a Christian. I want to give my heart to God. Then if that's you, we're not asking you to join this church. We're not looking to embarrass you or to shame you in any way. But if you'd like to say, yes, pray for me, Pastor Mike. I want to become a Christian. Can you just place your hand straight up in the air right now? Right now. I'll see that. You can then put down your hand and we'll pray with you. This could be your day to receive the gift of eternal life. Just going to look over the congregation just a few moments. While you think about it, it's an important decision. Most of us in this room have put our hand up. It's the best thing that we've ever done. We've testified of that. He's made the difference for all of us. If that's you this morning, just going to look over one more time. This is your opportunity, your chance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Well, let's stand up and we'll finish with a closing song. And... Uh, We'll sing, um, no, 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 no. I've been told I need a new happy song. I think I've done that one to death, so uh, too much. Uh, what's the second one we sung? Yeah, I'll do that one, thanks, yeah. God bless you. We've got a prayer team at the front. You're welcome to come down for prayer and ministry at the end of the service. God bless you. Thank you for coming to church. Go the Eagles. <laughs>
to, yes, I'm still here. Just quickly, you know, we had a lady, a young lady, one of the, the staff of Jeff and Sue who are in uh, Pakistan. They got, she got shot, little 14-year-old girl. Bullet went through the right chest, missed the heart, missed the food pipe. Is lodged in the bottom of uh, just underneath the left lung. She is doing well. Couldn't, couldn't find a doctor or a hospital. They had to rush her up to the hills, whatever, and stuff like this. She's now been treated. She's been discharged. She's well. She's going to live with the bullet, apparently, in her the rest of her life. Apparently, they don't have to get them out for some reason. Because, yeah. But isn't, isn't God good? That's a miracle. That's a miracle. So our God is greater. He's mighty. God bless you. See you next week. Before our eyes, more we see.